Uh, let's see. A pinch of this, and a dash of that, and... Uh-oh. Welcome to the Alchemist's Lab, the companion podcast to Adam and the Alchemist, and the show where we discuss creativity in all of its forms, exploring the question, what is creativity? In this episode, I speak to Anne Halsell, my dear friend and proofreader on Adam and the Alchemist. Anne is a writer, energy practitioner, a student of astrology, and the person who got me started in creative writing when I was a wee bairn. Anne, welcome to the show. Thank you, Will. Great to be here. Um, yeah, so as I mentioned in the intro, you and I have a very long-standing relationship. Um, and I figured because, you know, you're helping me make Adam and the Alchemist a thing, it only makes sense to have you be the first person that I interview. So um, I'm honored to have you. Thank you. And I'm honored to be here. I've known you since you were, I think, nine was when we started writing together. Yeah. Yeah, that's a few years. It's been a long time. It's been yeah. a very, it's been a few years. Yeah, we've both gone through a lot of creativity. <laughs> um. Okay. So to get started, because you know everybody has a different creative process and everybody approaches creativity differently depending on their fields. Um, how did you get started? What's what what do you think sparked your creativity? Because you you know writing is your main thing, but beyond that, what sparked creativity for you? Oh, there's so many. I started writing in earnest when I was going through a, a distressing time in my life. I was getting separated from my husband. And I just and I just started writing. And when I think back, that's 45 years ago, I was busy. I was, needed a job. I had two children part-time, and I still went out. I bought an old Selectric, well, it wasn't old at the time, a Selectric typewriter, set it up in my one-bedroom apartment in the kitchen, and started to write. And I don't, you know, I honestly don't remember what I started with first, but I ended up writing for the local newspaper. I just wanted to freelance. And that was at a time when I actually read the newspaper, and I thought I could do this. So I I wrote up some articles on various things and took it to the to the local newspaper, and they loved them. So they started publishing them. Do you remember what the first article was? I'm trying to remember. I think it might have been um, when I interviewed seniors on Valentine's Day. What Valentine's Day meant to them? They were seniors that were in a home. And I went in, I think I took cookies and sat with these elders, and it was just beautiful. I mean, I took photos of them. The, the newspaper put a full-page spread on the front page, and it was these beautiful people talking about their first loves, and it, it was just so much fun, so much fun. One of the people that I interviewed was a woman who was the first stampede queen, which was oh, wow. fascinating, yeah. Then I, the same newspaper, I entered a contest and won the grand prize. The grand prize was tickets to the ice capades, complete with airfare and a stretch limo at the other end. Wow. So they don't do that now, but... <laughs> no, that's quite yeah. a deal. Yeah. So I took my boys to that. So I just, yeah, and then I started doing, I started dating a rancher and ended up doing a column, weekly column in another local newspaper. 
uh, called Shoots and Shots. So it was about branding and branching life. So, and then in between there, of course, I started keeping a journal. When I was when I was a little girl, I you know I got the the diaries with the little brass lock for Christmas, you know. And but I I don't remember ever writing when I was a kid because you know you hear these people that say, "Oh, I've written since I was five, and mm-hmm. you'll be able to say that." Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> but all I wrote in that was you know what boy I had a crush on or what the weather was, and then I'd forget about it and stick it in my drawer and with my socks and bring it out six months later. So I wasn't into that then. Yeah. But once I was on my own and trying to sort out my new life, I started a daily journal and I've still got them in boxes in the basement (laughs) for my granddaughters if they want them. You mentioned like writing a journal when you were a kid. Uh, Because when were you born? Uh, 1955. So back then, do you feel like... um, creativity in that sort of that sort of you know very introspective way was more frowned on or more um or or less encouraged yes absolutely and i've never thought of that till you say this now i think i would have had to squeeze in that time to write in that journal um i probably would have had time if i had been inspired to write in it but there was nobody urging me on to do that. You know, it was more go outside and play, and there wasn't that sitting in stillness ever brought up, unless you were in church, and that's another whole story. (laughs) But yeah, no, no. And, and, And through school, I do not remember if we ever did any type of, you know, we did the writing and reading. But even that, when you said about the artistic, uh, the creativity, I mean, back that was back then in the day when people, when the teacher would say, you know, you can't make a orange tree. Trees are green. Right. You know, so right there, you're squelched right there. And don't waste your time. Don't daydream. Quit looking out the window. So very different now, I think. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, and then you you talk a little, talked a little bit about uh, how you got started writing uh, newspaper columns. <laughs> At what point did you make the jump to more... Um, you know, more more fantastical, more more out there styles of writing, and why? Yeah, good question. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is I never read fantasy. I read adventures about children off, you know, in the mountains, finding smugglers and stuff like that. So the first fantasy book I read was a uh, Terry Brooks, and my son Ben. Um, urged me. He was really into fantasy. And I said, I don't like fantasy. It doesn't make sense. It, it's too stupid. Like, it's too silly. How old were you when he said that? Oh, 30? No, I had him when I was 30. I would have been 40. So, yeah, even then. So, I did read that that first book um, in a series of Terry Brooks, and I couldn't put it down. I read, there was a series and I read them all one after the other. And that opened the floodgates to, to my imagination, I would say, to, to freeing that imagination. Yeah, that's, that's really, really interesting. And I think it's, it's also very helpful for people to hear too, because, you know, there's, I've seen this so many, 
in so many places because I've, you know, I've been in different creative areas. And one of the things that gets asked constantly is, am I too old to start? Hmm. Right. I'm too old to be an artist. I'm too old to be a writer. I, you know, it, but, you know, you didn't get started in like that type of writing, that kind of fantasy style or you didn't even consider it until you were 40. So that speaks volumes. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm 67 now. And if I want to change genres, I will do it. Yeah. As long as you have your imagination intact. Yeah. Which I think we do until we leave. Mm-hmm. There's ways to get it out there. Do you think that imagination is something that can be trained? Because I know for my dad, he can't picture an elephant in his head. He can picture like maybe a trunk or a foot. And there is a condition where people, they just can't see pictures in their head. You know, there's like some physical limitation on it. Do you think in your experience that that's something that can be trained? Like, did you find that over time your ideas got more creative and more kind of wacky and zany and you were willing to try new things? Well, I think that comes with with our age as well and experience. You know, I was disrupted out of my safe little world of being with a person that I'd known since I was 16 and then thrust out there to figure it out myself. Mm -hmm. You want to tell everybody they have an imagination, which is what I just did. And everybody's got that ability, but not everybody is willing to allow it. Mm. You know, so we say, well, you know, you can do this easier than I can because you're more evolved, you've studied more, you know about more about that subject. But if you just, if you want to write, go write what you know. Mm. Yeah. Don't sit and start writing, for example, don't sit and start trying to write an article for a car magazine if you have absolutely no interest in cars, but you want to make a buck. <laughs> right. It won't yeah. work. We've tried it. We've tried it. Our writers group, I've been in many over the years, and lots of them tried that. It didn't work. The ones that moved on and got it, you know, hit the bingo were the ones who wrote what they, what drove them. Yeah. The passion, you know, that word is so overused, but um, on, on that note, you know, I say write what you know, but then I didn't know fantasy. So it's, it's, it's a fine line. Like there's, think about what draws you, you know, what is your what interests you? What things do you want to th learn more about, but you maybe you're afraid to? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and also, I think, because when you say write what you know, it doesn't necessarily mean um, that you have to keep things grounded in the real world. There's enough fantasy books out there that prove you don't have to stay grounded in the real world. And dragons don't exist, but it's, they're more of a conceptual idea right? Like a, a dragon, it embodies something. We know about greed. We know about hatred. Or if it's a good dragon, we know about um, honor, right? Those are concepts that we can understand and we put them into these creatures. Maybe it's a dragon, maybe it's a troll, maybe it's whatever, right? But they embody something. Um, so I think that that point of write what you know, it's, it's very salient no matter what genre you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, I agree. And in all of this, in all of the, any creativity, we have to allow for the mystery. You know, the, that's where the inspiration is going to come from, that being open to the mystery. You know, when I, when I wrote The Willow Trail, which was my first novel, I was walking 
down at the island and at, by the water on a winter's day. And I looked over and I thought, oh, there's fairies skating over there along the edge of the, the island. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't, I've never seen a fairy, but I, not that I know of, but I just knew in my head. And I went home and I started the willow trail. I don't even think I went home. I sat in the car and started and worked on that for almost seven years off and on. Mm-hmm. But that that came, that just came and it was there. Right. And I just knew that there was something there. Yeah. And the same thing happened with a CBC radio contest. I happened <laughs> happened to be walking by the radio that I had on. And just as I walked by, they were announcing a contest, a writing contest, and it was to be all across Canada. And it needed to be about some odd thing that happened to you, memor- some memorable thing that happened to you out in nature. And I hadn't even, she hadn't even finished this sentence, and I had the story. <laughs> I went downstairs to the computer, I typed the 500 words, and within a couple hours sent it in, and I won second place all across Canada. Wow. So it was that, that knowing it's yeah. just that knowing that you've got something. Yeah. And if it's about writing about the clump of flowers outside the window or the star that you looked out that, you know, anything. If anything really leaps at you, there's something to create with there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that it took you seven years to finish The Willow Trail. It's an excellent book. Anybody listening to this should definitely go read it. But I think I'm just wondering because... You know, we talked a bit about, um, you know, the mystery, but also I think it takes time, right, to to let the creativity flow. Like, obviously, if you're taking that long to write a book, you're clearly not trying to force it out the door, right? Like in a, a, a James Patterson, Patterson style, nothing against him, right? But he writes like five books a year, you know, but the, the Willow Trail, you know, it seems like a real labor of love. So, you know, how did you come to that place just being like no it takes as long as it takes oh with a lot of patience and a lot of being irritated with myself (laughs) (laughs) yeah and a lot of self-doubt a lot of self-doubt can i finish it is it gonna is it any good is it it's too far out Mm -hmm. and and a lot of it covers a lot of subjects too um a lot of themes yeah yeah so i remember being like one of your advisors on the book when how old was I when we were doing that back and forth oh 15 that's geez anyway um I remember doing that back and forth and one of the the things that I remember I always brought up it's like there's no villain where's the villain where's the thing to push against right and you were always very uh firm in that no there doesn't need to be one and I think that it really turned out well in the book because, you know, the the challenges that the characters overcome, they're their own, right? You don't need a big bad. But, you know, big bad, it's definitely a bit of a cliche. Um, so do you have any, you know, character tropes or or cliches that you find particularly detestable in writing? Um, <laughs> and 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 you try to avoid in avoid in your own. And if so, why? I was determined that I did not, I was writing a fantasy and yet I wasn't. It's classified as a fantasy because you have to choose something to slot it under. 
But for me, it was very real because of the topics that it addressed. Molly's Molly's terrible self-doubt and her fears. Um, yeah. I didn't need... I, I, what I found de- not detestable is a strong word. What bugs me, and even now re- rereading Terry Brooks, I find my eyes just glazing over the you know, scanning the battles. And I thought, I'm so tired. They all have the same, you know, the fantasy books, they all have a good guy and a bad guy, and you got to have big battles, big long battles against evil. And in the Willow Trail, the evil and the scary stuff is them creating it themselves. Right, yeah. Which to me, I'm not sure of the proper word, but it definitely depicts our own reality here. So that was still there. The fears are still there. And in the book, we see we see tangible proof of things appearing that are scary, but they don't have to be there. They, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if, t- if you could say the same thing about other fantasy books with the big battles or not. I don't know. I just wanted to do something different. Right, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, and and I think, you know, that's part of creativity. I think creativity, it's not just, you know, throwing paint at a wall and seeing what sticks. It's creativity is more you are presented with a problem and you think of interesting ways to solve that problem Um, and and ways that work, right? You know, like uh, creativity, it's like how many uses can you think of for a brick, you know, um, as a building material that's one solution, but it's not very creative. But if you're thinking of it as, you know, like a wall for an ant to try and keep an ant out of a, you know, a hole, that's a much more creative uh, answer, or maybe like a pumice stone, you know? So with the willow trail and having to, you know, work your way around that trope of having the big bad villain, I think that, you know, really brings out a lot more creativity than you know, just kind of sticking to the by the book method of there's the good guy, there's the bad guy, the good guy must overcome evil, saves the day. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And when you said that about the brick, you know, what did you say? How many things can you do with a brick? Uh, That reminds right away, I was back at the table with you doing exercises. That sounds like something that you would have excelled at. Let's let's talk a little bit about that, about your um, your work with kids. What made you want to pursue that more? Well, as soon as I had you and Alexandra at the table, and all three of us just were shining, we just shone. Like, it, it was it was fun. I loved it. I could see that you loved it. I could see that I was helping the creative process. And I just kind of made it a mission that I was going to help these kids to free that guy you know i don't like i never know what to call those times at the table because i don't want to say it's a class a lesson i'm not a teacher you know i i i'm i was trying to escape from that whole way of looking at it and looking look at it as i'm just guiding you i'm i'm urging you to free up your imagination because the first thing the kids would do is they sit there and they you know they start their writing exercise and they're asking well how do i spell this should i put a capital and i so if you remember, I would say, no, no, don't worry about the spelling. If you make a mistake, just cross it out. No erasing. I mean, the only rules at that table were there are no rules because you get that in school. You can learn that in school. 
how to spell and punctuate and all that. So that was my goal. And I remember when my mom told me that she was putting me into a writing class with one of her friends, I remember asking her, like, am I going to have to know grammar? Because I was, I was scared, right? My assumption is, oh, no, I'm going to have to, you know, and it was so different from that. But I think that, like, for me, just that freedom of really just, you know, let it rip, doesn't matter, just go for it. It was really, really inspiring. And I do think that that played uh, a role in my desire and willingness to just, you know, try creative pursuits. I did not know that you thought you might have to come and do grammar. <laughs> I, I, yeah, never, yeah. I haven't heard that part of your story before. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> well, and I was, I was concerned when your mom asked me if I would do this. I said, oh, I don't have a university, an English degree. I said, I, I mean, yes, I'm excellent speller and lots of ability and grammar, but to be exactly, precisely, perfectly correct, not me. Yeah. And she yeah. said, oh, I, no, I don't want that. He can get that in school. I want you to free right. his creativity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then I felt that too, right? I was able to, and, and it, it made it different. It made it fun. And you could just see the children were just so eager to do this. It was so healthy for them. And back to your question, that's why I've never stopped doing it, really. I've, you know, I still have one student right now. I'm thinking of actually starting a class of uh, writing adventures with women, just because, you know, then you start using it in a different way. You're, you're bringing that childlike quality, not childish, but childlike quality back to help them as adults express themselves creatively. Right. Yeah. That's one thing I was going to ask. What do you think, because um, obviously neither of us are psychologists, but, you know, in your own personal experience, what do you think the benefits are of, you know, having a bit of a creative outlet? I know that um, there's research that shows that writing your thoughts down is, um, it can be very cathartic and very helpful at processing things. Um, but more specifically, you know, creative writing, really just trying to, you know, put it down and see what happens. What do you think some of the benefits are to doing that um, semi-regularly? It, freedom. Freedom and joy, and then that flows through into everything. It flows through into the way you dress, the way you think, the way you speak. It's just, it's just, it's like going out for a walk. That, that refreshing. But you know, when you we're asking that question, what jumped to my mind was just yesterday, I have a book, and I'm not going to say the author, because everyone knows her, and I just, I'm just going to leave it. But I was just enjoying it so much, and I was about halfway through, and it's about the process of creativity. Right. And I've been eating up this book, just reading it when I'm out in the car down at, uh, at the island after a walk. And really enjoying her take on creativity. And, you know, you can do it. You can do anything. Don't let anybody tell you you can't, et cetera, et cetera. And, but yesterday I got to a part where she said she knew that creativity wasn't important. It wasn't vital. And I thought, what? I actually, you know, looked again and read it a couple of times. And she said things that are really important in life, you know, are like firemen and hospitals and doctors and computers and like, and she said, 
we know we can do without creativity, but why should we? And I, I was so upset. I was so <laughs> upset. I just stood there. I thought, oh, lady. And I, and I actually wrote, I will confess, I actually wrote in the margin. I disagree 100%. And I closed the book and I'm not going to finish it. And I'm going to put that to, you know, the thrift shop because there's lots, lots of goodies in it. But for me to read that was so jarring. So I did make a note of it and it's going to the thrift store. <laughs> but I couldn't. I just lost her. I just lost her. I thought, whoa, what planet are you on? How was the light bulb invented? How, you know, like everything is creativity. Well, I mean, and, and even so she gave the example of, you know, being a fireman. Well, okay, fine. You don't need creativity. So the firemen get to the accident, and here you have a car flipped upside down, the, and it's in the water. And if you break a window, the thing floods and it sinks. What do you do? Right? That is creativity. You have to think outside the box and solve these problems. Without creativity, we'd be useless. Exactly. Now, in all fairness, if I could speak to this person, she might say, oh, I meant something different. But I read it, you know, like three times, and I thought, no, I... I'm getting this message I don't like. <laughs> yeah. The message that doesn't make any sense to me. So I've kind of lost the interest in reading the rest of the book. Interesting, though, I read it before. I had read it years ago and I read it again, but I didn't see that years ago. <laughs> okay, here's a question. Um, because creativity and art as a whole, you know, a lot of it is very subjective. Um, do you think that there is any like hard and fast measure for what makes um, a story or a piece of art or, you know, a dance or something better uh, or good versus one that is, you know, it, it, it's lacking in that creativity department. Yes. Anything that's forced, anything that you, anything that you have to try. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything that you have to try hard at, which is, I can kind of feel the listeners cringing because most people think you have to try hard. <laughs> yeah. But you know, if you think about it, if you think of the times you've tried really hard in your life and gotten places, but then you think of the times when something, if you're really listening, when something has just clicked and there's a beautiful synchronicity and you didn't try at all. I think it's a matter of being awake and listening and watching for those opportunities. So if you feel like throwing a can of paint at the wall and and saying that's art, and if you really are enjoying it, then it is. But but being in that, yes, that, that flow, don't try. Trying just messes things up. There's effort. It would be really cool to have somebody do a, you know, a discussion on the difference between effort and trying. Because I sure put a lot of effort into the Willow Trail. And so I could say I tried. So it's it's a it's kind of a funny that trying, yeah, that trying and allowing. Allowing is big. Allow yourself to be you. Don't I mean when we start to write, most of us, I can see that in my students. You know, they want to write just like their favorite author. Yeah. And that's that absolutely I don't say a thing. That's that's perfectly normal. Cause that, and then they'll go on from there and branch out. It's it's interesting how because there's there's a there's a famous quote. I think it's from Chuck Close. He's a, a painter. 
I might be getting this totally wrong. Uh, but, but the quote is just, um, amateurs wait for inspiration. The rest of us show up and get to work. Um, and I think, I think, I think it's interesting because I, I think, I think there is a grain of truth there. You know, if you just wait around and you're like, oh, one day I'll have inspiration for the book and then I'll write it, mm. you know, one day, one day it'll happen. Right. I do think that there is an element of, you know, just sit your butt down and start. Exactly. But, but accompanying that, like you said, there has to be that um, that space of allowing. Yeah. Right. Because you know, sit, make yourself sit down, make yourself start writing, but then don't start immediately picking over every single little word that you write. Right. Allow it to unfold. Um, I know Neil Ga- uh, Neil Gaiman. He specifically says, and you know, in his writing methodology, you know, when you write your first draft. Don't show it to anybody. Just write it. Get it done. It's not supposed to be pretty. You can make spelling mistakes. It doesn't have to make sense. It can be wordy, whatever. Just get it done, right? Just get the ideas on the page and allow it to happen. Exactly. Exactly. And just to back up before I forget here, when you said about sitting down at the, sitting down to work, yes, sit down at your desk, decide you're going to say you don't feel like it. Right. You can still sit down, start to work. And in 20 minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour, whatever, if it's not working, then you get up and you go do something else. Yeah. So there's that, because you can tell this isn't the right time. If you start forcing it and pushing, then you're just going to end up deleting everything anyway in the end. <laughs> yep. So yeah, that that's really important there. Because otherwise, you can never show up at the desk if you, were, if you just wait it's not something we can really plan and measure, is it? It kind of just hits you like a ton of bricks sometimes. Yeah, yeah. It's um, Ken Robinson wrote a book about it called The Element, but it's just about you know how people who are in their element they go into flow state, mm-hmm. right? Where you know time passes and you don't even realize it's passing. Oh but it's, yes. But I think, but I think the key to getting there, and it's it's also very similar in meditation. It's you have to just allow it. If, as soon as you start trying, as soon as you start putting effort, you know, so in meditation, don't think about anything. Don't think about anything. What happens? You start thinking about things, right? When you're writing, I have to write this sentence. I have to write what happens. Nothing happens. Yeah, yeah exactly. And something jumped to my head there when you said about, um, did you say something about forgetting about the time or something? Yeah, time passes and you don't even recognize yeah. it passing. That brought something I've totally forgotten. When I was working on, I have a second novel, an adult novel, and I was working on it one day, and I was so into it. And there's a little, there's quite a bit of spiritualism, or I'm not sure what the word is to use there. Somebody else was working with me, <laughs> and in my mind, and I was writing, and it's the only happened to me once in all the hours I've put in over the years where I've stopped writing, and I stood up, and I thought, I have no idea if it's morning or afternoon. I have no idea if I've had lunch or if it is even lunchtime. I had to literally go out of the room and look at the clock, and yeah, it's only happened once. It was quite exciting. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I'd say that's that's I said that's a pretty good indication that you're doing something right. Mm-hmm. And that's always that flow. You know, sitting down at the island with my pen and paper, that's how most of the Willow Trail was written by hand, just sitting there and I'd write seven or eight pages, single spaced full pages without stopping. 
And then I'd come home and type type them out because at that time I felt like the writing flowed better with my hand. Right. Yeah. 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 Then you get to a point you've probably been there where you you can't get it down fast enough. I actually do that with my daily journal. So so then I sit and, you know, I just fire it off on the computer as it's pouring out. So that's a personal thing that everybody, some of each I would suggest is the best way to do it. If you haven't handwritten, please try, you know, do or not. <laughs> please allow yourself to do that. Give it a whirl. See what happens. Yeah. Well, I know James Patterson, his methodology, at least when I, um, when this was, whenever he said it, was that, you know, he just writes everything by hand and then he gives it to someone who transcribes it onto the computer because that's his, you know, what's worked, what works best for him. Yeah. Be nice to have somebody to do that. Yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Makes it a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, we're getting to the end here. Let's finish on a, um, a fun question. What is your favorite story and why? Anne of Green Gables. And I did not read it until I was an adult. And why? I think it's because I can relate to her character. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what it is. It was reading it. It almost brings a tear right now. It was reading it and seeing this person who was just totally herself, totally, completely, 100% herself, got into all kinds of messes, which I can totally relate to but was so true to herself and everybody loved her. But yeah, Anne of Green Gables. And, and I've read so many books and have lots of favorite authors, but that's, that's the one. Yeah. Well, it's a great book and I think a lot of people haven't read it. So if you haven't, it's definitely worth a read. And the sequels. I haven't read the sequels yet, but I read the first one and it was just amazing. So I need yeah. to do that sometime. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, Anne, thank you so much for uh, being a willing participant in this uh, little creativity experiment. And uh, uh, I look forward to continuing to work on Adam and the Alchemist with you. This is a lot of fun. Oh, I love working on Adam with you. It's, it's, it's a pleasure to see you shining with your creativity. And just remember, let... Leave lots of room for the mystery. Mm -hmm. That's the important part. <laughs> Thanks, Will. And thank you. Thank you, Anne. Bye. Right, bye bye. Thank you for listening to this first episode of The Alchemist's Lab. If you enjoyed it, stick around. I'm going to be interviewing more fascinating people in the future from all walks of life to talk about how they make use of creativity in their own pursuits. From geologists to pilots, producers to deep sea divers, we're going to explore it all. Until next time, I'm Will Ryerson, and stay creative.